Our text this morning, I'll read in just a few moments, will be verses 6 and 7. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. A beautiful, 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 beautiful day that God has blessed us with. A special welcome to our dads, our fathers and grandfathers um, and great-grandfathers that are here this morning. Thank you, Luke, for leading us Um, In worship, the rest of the team, I purposely, I love to drive um, the long way, the slow way home from the office, Um, drive through the back uh, fields and we'll watch the farmers as they are plowing and turning over the soil. You know, I oftentimes think of, of singing like plowing. Um, just like what plowing gets the, the soil ready to receive the seed, singing and worship gets us ready to receive the seed of the word that, Lord willing, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in all of our lives for his glory. So thank you, those that led us in worship this morning. I'm going to be speaking on the subject what I call the three most important things a dad can teach his kids, and it's not how to change a tire, say thank you, or throw a curveball. We know that there's lots of really important things that we do need to be teaching and that you are teaching your kids. Uh, we're going to learn what the most important, um, most important of all things that we need to remember. Let's bow our head first and foremost. Just go to the Lord and ask for his um, leading and guiding um, as we learn from his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do come into your presence so, so grateful for another day that you've blessed us with. I thank you for every every person that is here. I thank you especially for our dads. I thank you for the example that you give to us of a loving father. Lord, we come now to you with our heads bowed as a sign of our submission to your authority. We recognize that you have created us. We recognize that you sent your son to redeem us. Recognize, Lord, the authority that it is you that is to direct our steps. Teach us how to live. And so we come, Lord, and we ask that you would do just that. That we would strive to full and to fast obedience as a result of our time together in your word. Lord, I, I pray and plead for your help that you would um, equip my mind and empower my spirit so that everything that is said, everything that is done over these next few moments would be for your glory and for your glory alone. We love you. We thank you for loving us. We ask this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus our Savior, the Messiah. Amen and amen. Now, we know that there are many, many neat and wonderful things, um, dads, that we need to be teaching our kids. Some of them are important. Some of them are very important. This morning, I want to talk about three things that are the most important. What I find is that there's a lot of instruction that is given out there on, Dad, remember this, teach your kids this. Um, I, I, I did some research this week in a popular uh, men's magazine, men's health magazine, 
teaches us, tells us, this is what you have to teach your kids. Teach your kids, according to Men's Health Magazine, that words matter. I I think that's important. I think that's true. We should teach our kids that words matter, that tantrums get you nowhere. Um, Men's Health Magazine says that we should teach our kids that, that competition leads to confidence and independence is earned. This is good stuff, but a little on the the, the, the cotton candy level. It's a little fluffy, if, if, if I could describe. Uh, Men's Health Magazine says what? Success requires focus. Oh, really? Like, who came up with that one? That's a PhD to figure out you can have success. Don't focus on anything. Like, it just, it's, there's some neat instruction that the world gives, but there's not a lot of sustenance. Um, popular mechanics adds a little bit more grit, I guess you could say. Popular mechanics says, dads, you need to be teaching your kids, uh, number one, to let sleeping dads lie. I guess that's good at some level. Um, I asked, uh, um, I asked young Tucker Owens if, if you got your daddy breakfast in bed, and he said, dad is up long before I am. That's a good example, I think, of what fathers should be. Popular mechanics says you need to teach your children Um, that some of the best lessons are going to be learned when holding a flashlight for dad. I think that's good. That's helpful. My kids would have learned absolutely nothing for holding a flashlight for their dad. Um, Popular Mechanics says, what, teach your kids to do their own bike repairs and to take up woodworking. That's some good stuff, I guess. Not a lot of weight to it. Family life gets a little bit more on target, says that we should teach our children, uh, teach our kids how to speak in public. I would vote for that. I think that's very, very important. Teach your kids to read good books. Readers are leaders, good stuff. Family life says teach your kids how to play an instrument, build a fire, carve a turkey, light a grill, um, uh, jumpstart a car, tie a knot. This is all good stuff. How to handle a gun and a knife and skin an animal and also be a gentleman. So there's, there's some stuff here that is important for us to be teaching our kids. There's no doubt all pro dad gets a little bit closer, says that we need to teach our kids to love unconditionally. Now we're getting somewhere. Says that we're to teach our kids to grow up, to be there, to value education, to take responsibility, to love life. Good stuff. Desiring God gets a lot of it bang on. Teach our kids to read the Bible. Uh, praise God, pray faithfully, love the church. Desiring God says, teach our kids to live simply and practically. And I love this, teach your kids theology in the backyard. There's no doubt, there's a lot of instruction out there today on what we should be teaching our kids. Some of it is important, some of it's very important today. I want to pause, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to focus on the most important thing that you should ever teach your children. To begin with, Father's Day 2018, and there will only be one for this year. I want to consider a very simple but a very profound principle that is underscored two times in Scripture. The first time we're going to read it here in Exodus chapter 34, and just to set the scene a little bit, this is... This is Um, um, upon Moses receiving the Ten Commandments, but he's receiving them for the second time because he was ticked, okay? He broke or shattered the first set in an angry fit of rage when he saw the disobedience of the Israelites. 
So now he's receiving the Ten Commandments for the second time. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, God's word says this. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That's the first time that principle is stated. The second time is when Moses is intervening or interceding on behalf of the nation Israel after their continued disobedience in the desert. And what he does is he quotes God from a previous time. And he restates almost word for word from Exodus chapter 34. He says this in Numbers chapter 14, verse 17. I'll read it again. As you have promised saying, in verses 17 and 18, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Now what God is saying here is this. The decisions of a father have generational repercussions. Let let, let me say that again. What God is making very clear twice in scripture, Exodus 34, Numbers chapter 14, is that the decisions of a father have generational repercussions. Repercussions. This means that, that, that what a dad does or what a dad does not do not only impacts his own life, but it literally pours out into the lives of his children, his children's children, and his children's children's children. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a most sobering, serious, and a severe thought. To me. You see, the day's gonna come one time that they will close the lid on my casket and then they screw it down tight. I've seen them do it many times. And then what they do is that they take a cement crypt lid and they will place it over top of the casket and then the casket inside of that crypt, they will then crank again on straps and lower it down into the grave. Somebody's going to come up and shovel dirt on top of my casket, top of my crypt. But what you have to realize is that the decisions that I have made up to that point will continue to impact my wife, Wendy. The decisions that I've made up to that point will continue to impact my son, Seth, and his wife, Emily. The decisions that I've made up to that point will continue to impact Ben and, and Sarah and little Denson and little baby Noel and, 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 and the Lord knows. Do you, you, you understand that? 
Now think, think about this, dads, for a moment, about all of your decisions. This is especially profound because it wouldn't be so bad if my mistakes, if my mess stopped with me. But my mess gets passed on and on and on. Why? Because God does the passing on. God is the one who passes on. It actually says that God is visiting the iniquity or visiting the sins of the fathers onto the third and the fourth generation. Now, please understand, there's some translation that I think actually translate this quite poorly. This does not mean that God is punishing the children. Okay, that's not what that means. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20 says, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So God is not punishing the children for the father's sin, but God is allowing what? The sins of the father or grandfather to have consequences. It's going to impact the life of the children and grandchildren. Now I understand that this sounds tough. We have this idea that God no doubt is merciful. We see that in this promise. We see that God is patient and he's gracious and he's faithful and he's loving. And yet what? He will by no means clear the guilty. And he visits the iniquity of the father to the third and fourth generation. What? Like, like what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? We need to give attention to this. Therefore, three things that I believe are the most important to teach our children. Number one is this. Teach your kids that God's wrath is real. Teach your kids God's wrath is real. This morning, our son Seth FaceTimed from the Middle East to wish me um, happy Father's Day, and I was grateful for that. And he said, hey, Dad, what are you preaching on this morning? I said, I'm preaching on the wrath of God. He's like, oh my goodness. Daddy goes, you preach at Mother's Day, you preach like fluffy white clouds and blue skies and sunshine. He said, and dads, he says, you're preaching on the wrath of God, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah, really, like it's there. It's real. We're gonna address it. People don't realize that the word of God speaks about the wrath of God more than six hundred times throughout the pages of scripture. The word of God speaks of the wrath of God more than 600 times throughout the pages of scripture. Psalm chapter seven, verse 11 says that God is angry with the wicked every day. People hear that and they're like, yeah, but that's like the Old Testament God. Like for some reason, it just seems like God is in a bad mood or he's grumpy or something in the Old Testament. And then what happens, many people think that what God 2.0 arrives, he's the, he's the updated, the softer, kind of plushier, cushioned version of God, right? Jesus just seems to be all loving and all grace. Uh, no. God, the son is precisely and teaches accurately exactly what God the Father teaches. What we see as God in the Old Testament is exactly what we see in the God of the New Testament. 
John chapter 3, verse 36, perhaps people forget what Jesus said. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see light, but the wrath of God remains on him. You can be assured that Jesus is not the plushier, cushioned version of God the Father. Spend any time reading Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 11, and you see Jesus going into his father's house. They've turned it into a den of thieves, and he takes a cord, some rope, and he whips people. My father's house is to be a house of prayer. And we see God's wrath. We see the wrath of Jesus on display. Very well-known critic and skeptic of biblical Christianity, Bertrand Russell, writes a book entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. And he says this. He says, the number one reason that he does not believe in Jesus is because, quote, Jesus clearly believed in the wrath of God. Russell actually said that one of the most profound defects in Jesus' character is the fact that he believes in the wrath of God. Well, let me tell you this. Jesus does not have any defects in his character. Jesus is completely consistent, preaching and teaching a message that, that perfectly matches all of Scripture. There's no doubt that the subject of God's wrath particularly on a sunny Father's Day, can be difficult doctrine to understand. Many people struggle with this. But let let me tell you, you cannot disregard it. You cannot ignore it. Pretend that it doesn't exist. Why? J.D. Greer says it best, a God without wrath would be a God without goodness. That God in his goodness actually holds us accountable. The writer of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 26 and 27. He graciously is telling you, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's pretty strong language, but it's language that says, if, if you have heard the word of the truth of the gospel, then you are now responsible to obey it and not obey like pieces of it or pages of it, but obey all of it. So we teach what first and foremost, this is, this is most important. This is far more important than what, how to release your baseball glove. You teach your kids that God's wrath is real. Number two, teach your kids that God's wrath is a gift of his goodness. God's wrath is a gift of his goodness. We read in Exodus chapter 34, it says when Moses, um, God was passing by Moses on Mount Sinai. But if you were to go back one chapter and read a little bit more in context, It actually says this in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. And he said, speaking of God said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. What's happening here? Think about it. God did not say, I'll make all of my goodness pass before you and just a little bit of my badness too. No, he's not not saying that. It's all God's goodness. That what? God's wrath 
is a good thing. It's part of who he is. And you're like, well, wait a minute. How, like, how does that work? Dad and mom, when, when your, your son or your daughter take a toy, okay, and, and hit their sister or their brother in the head with that toy, are you in delightful glee about that? Wow, that was an amazing hit. Why don't you try that one again? No. When, when a, a, a parent, a loving parent, sees the sin of one child to another, there's a sense of what? I'm angry about that. And you ought to be angry about that. When your son lies blatantly to your face, is there not something inside? Why? Because you don't want your son to be a liar. And there's something that says, no, my anger says, we're going to address this. We're going to address this right here and right now. We watch our daughter cheat. We watch our, 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 our kid steal a little piece of candy. No one else saw it, just slip it in their pockets. You're happy with that? No, absolutely not. You're angry. Why are you angry? Because you love that little one. I don't want you to be a thief. I want you to be a thug. Likewise, in exactly the same way, precisely the same way, God is angry at sin. Why? Because God loves his creation and sin destroys his creation. Thankfully, we have a God who loves us and he's not just going to sit by. He's not just going to, to watch it happen. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, it's repeated again in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. We know this, whom the Lord loves, he chastens or he corrects. Which means that God graciously and truly and honestly desires for us to live in a world that is free of what? Thievery and thuggery. God God desires for us to live in a world that is free of corruption. God wants us to live in a world that is free of destruction and injustice. Do we realize that one day, those who have put their faith in the finished work of Jesus will experience a place and a time where there will be no more sin in heaven? In heaven is the only place. In Revelation 21, it's described as a place where there will be no more death. This morning at 7.28, I received a phone call from my older sister who lives in Florida who was weeping because her sister-in-law, we've known since we were kids, we played up together, played and grew up together, Angela, lost the battle to leukemia and the Lord called her home last night. Heaven is a place there'll be no more of those phone calls. Praise God for that. Praise God that God desires us to to live in a place. It says in Revelation 21 verse four, there's not gonna be any more tears. No more. Place described in Revelation 21, there's not gonna be any crying any longer. There's not going to be any mourning. It says that there'll be no more pain. 
Oh, how I look forward and long to that. Why? Why? Because it's a place, it says that there will be no more sin. God thankfully, graciously promises that we will live in a place with him one day where there will be no more sin. He takes it all away. We see as well another way that God's wrath is, is a gift of his goodness to us is the fact that he actually allows us to suffer the, suffer the consequences of our own sin. We learn from it. How many times have you talked to someone and they, they show you, look, look at this finger right here. See this scar right here on this finger? I got that when I was a kid because I was playing with a knife. My parents said not to play with the knife and I played with the knife and and see that scar? I remember that scar. Every time I look at that, I remember the pain. See see this hand right here and see the burn marks here? See the scar right here? You see, the reason I got that scar, this burn, is because I touched that stove. I was told, don't touch it, but I had to touch it. And today I have this scar and, and I have this burn. God in his graciousness allows us to suffer the consequences of his wrath. Why? Thankfully to teach us because he loves us and he wants us to learn. We certainly see that all the way through the word of God, specifically with the nation of Israel. Scars all over the place. Even at this moment when when Moses receives this word from God, This is tough truth. Yes, he is a God of mercy and grace and abounding love and he forgives sin, but but what? He will by no means clear the guilty. He's going to visit the iniquity, the sins of the fathers, the third and fourth generation. What is Moses' response? Does he like start crying? God is so horrible. Does he try to run and hide from, from God's wrath? No. It actually says this in Exodus chapter 34, verses 8 and 9. We, we dropped off in, in, in verse 7. You pick it up in verse 8. It says that Moses quickly bowed his head to the ground and he worshiped. Wait a minute. God just revealed that he has real wrath and Moses... Bows his head and worships. Why? Because he just received good news. You worship that which is good news. Dads, dads, there's a long list of what things you need to be teaching your children. You need to teach them first and foremost that what God's wrath is real and that God's wrath is a gift of his goodness to us. Thirdly, and finally, we need to teach your kids that the only way to escape God's wrath is through Christ. The only way to escape God's wrath is through Christ. I'm not the only one that struggles with what appears to be a contradiction in many ways. It's like, it's like two sides of a coin. God is merciful. God is gracious, abounding in love and forgiving sin, and yet he will by no means clear the guilty. And it's stated twice. At some level, it kind of seems like a a collision, a contradiction. Forgive sin for some, but not, not let the guilty go unpunished. 
This is stating a very, very real principle that many people miss. Please understand, this is not saying, this is not saying that God is not a God of grace. It's not saying that. This is not saying that God is not a God of love. He's not saying that God is not a God of mercy. He's not saying that God does not forgive. God is all of those things. God is love. First John chapter four, verse eight, God is love. But hear this, love. Love apart from a heavenly, holy father offering his son Jesus in what? In sacrificial action that atones for our sins. Love apart from that is only love. It's not just love, period. I'm sorry. What? God put love to action. God, God put what? God put love to work for us by letting his own son, Jesus, take the wrath that we deserve. And he felt it all. Jesus, what? Pinned, nailed to the cross, cries out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? God put love to work for us for a reason. Therefore, what? Jesus Christ is the solution to the apparent contradiction. You understand? Jesus Christ is the solution to the apparent contradiction. What God is stating is that what he cannot and he will not clear the guilty. He, he will not declare one innocent. He will not allow you to escape wrath because you got caught. It's not going to work. God will not what, declare you innocent. God will not allow you to escape the wrath because you feel really, really sorry and bad for what you did. No, no, it doesn't work like that. God not, will not allow you to escape his wrath because, because you went to church. Because you, you woke up early on a Sunday and you got a shower and you came here. God will not allow you to escape his wrath because you taught your kids to read good books, although you need to teach that. God's not going to allow you to, to escape his wrath. He's not going to declare you innocent because you taught your kids how to respect others, although you need to do that. God's not going to declare you innocent because you taught your son how to start a fire. So you need to do that. But rather what? You are only declared free of your guilt. You are only declared innocent. You're only declared righteous, right, just, justified. When you put your full faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not your own works. Which means what? Teach your kids to trust Jesus and they're declared innocent, justified. Romans chapter five, verse one. We, we celebrate and we hold on to Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's wrath is not something that we what lose sleep over, not for those who are followers of Jesus, now put their full faith in his finished work. 
that, that what? Wrath is real. There's no doubt that's teach your kids that. Teach your kids that wrath is real. Teach your kids what? That, that wrath is a gift of God. Demonstration of his goodness. Dads, you teach your kids that what? That wrath can be turned to peace through the work of Jesus. There is nothing, there is nothing that is more important for you to teach your children that will impact them for generations to come. And we have before us what on what at Big Woods, it's the third Sunday of every single month that we just pause and we get a reminder of what a heavenly father's love for us looks like. We know that Jesus sitting in the upper room with his disciples the very night that he was betrayed and, and arrested and put through this just sham, scam, mock trial. 